Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today's episode 192, and we're going to be interviewing Lee. How are you doing today, Lee? Oh, we got a little bit of a lag issue there. Awesome. You there? Yeah. So how are you doing, Lee? I'm pretty good, thank you. All right, so let's get started. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Um, I grew up in a small town in northern England. It's quite an industrial background. I think like the American equivalent is your steel towns or Detroit or places like that. Um, I grew up with both my parents, but they were quite dysfunctional. They were always arguing and rowing. There was a lot of hostility in the house. My dad was a very authoritarian figure. Do you know what they uh, were fighting that? about? The usual things that people in small northern industrial towns fight about, money, work, not having enough. We, grew, we didn't grow up poor, but we didn't grow up rich, if, if that makes any kind of sense. Were you considered money, maybe middle class? Nowhere near. Absolute working class, but borderline. There was always food, but there wasn't luxury money, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, no, I grew up the same way. We had we had a house, you know, we had cars, but we yeah. didn't have anything really luxurious. Yeah, yeah, there was, there was always just enough, but my dad used to work very hard to provide that, and my mum did too, they were both working. It, yeah, it was just a typical upbringing in, in everybody where I live or where I'm from was brought up like that, if you understand what I mean. I think you Americans call it blue collar, is it? Yeah, blue collar, yeah. That's just, you know, regular Joe, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So how was your social life growing up? Did you have a lot of friends? I had a lot of friends, but I always, I lived in a fantasy world me as a child. I always, I, did, I was a daydreamer, and I, I didn't really, I felt like I didn't really fit in anywhere. Do you I know why you felt that way? I have no idea why I felt that way looking back. It's just something that has, has always been, it's always been part of me. I never felt quite good enough or quite, I never felt just, I never felt just like I fitted in anywhere, if, if that makes sense to you. No, it makes sense. You know, some people have, that, that, it's not the first time I've heard that. And I also, yeah. I also dealt with that where I feel like I didn't fit in. But I always had a lot of friends growing up. I was a I was a very polite, well mannered young lad. So I was I was funny, I was quite popular, I was good at sports. I had a lot of I had a lot of friends. I had no problem making friends or fitting in. But I didn't quite know where I fit in. I didn't I, I always was uneasy. Yeah, no, like I said, I know the feeling. So silly question, how was your grades in school? Did you do good in school? I did exceptionally well in school. I'm what they call a, a, I'm a gifted student. I was, um, I was on, I got a scholarship to a prestigious private school. Um, I think that the term, I'm trying to rationalise it in American terms because I know you've got an American audience. I got a scholarship to like an Ivy League school. An Ivy League school? Um, 
so yeah, kind of like that. Do you know, like your Cambridges and your Oxfords, things like that. I got a scholarship, gotcha. which was incredibly difficult for me because I come from a really poor background. Like I said, my dad was a truck driver and I was going to school with all these kids that were quite rich and were going to Val de scheme for the summer. And it was just, so then I really felt like I didn't fit in. Gotcha. So how was yeah. your uh, your household when you were at home? Did anybody do any drugs or drink or anything? Um, I believe, looking back, I believe my dad suffered from untreated alcoholism. He was very, there was a lot of physical violence in our home. My dad was, like I say, a very authoritarian figure. And there was a lot of regular beatings handed out. Would he give it to your mom as well? Um, I never actually saw that, but I'm pretty sure it was going on. The house would be smashed up when I'd come home and things like that. So, was there, like I said, was there any type of drug abuse or anything like that? Um, my mum, I think English culture is very different to American culture. There's a lot of, there's a big drinking culture over here amongst the working class. I've only been saying, maybe... Um, just the usual sort of stuff, but no actual drug use. No, my mum and dad were very against drugs. So you consider it more of, like you said, going with uh, the social norm? Yeah. I, I discovered drugs and I just loved them. I absolutely adored drugs. There's, there's no getting around that fact. Oh, yeah, me too. I love my painkillers and Adderall. And Kalani, yeah. I like. I loved a lot of stuff. I had many loves yeah. in my life. Yeah, but um, yeah. what age were you first exposed to anything? Well, this is where the story gets a little bit interesting. I ended up, um, my dad gave me such a severe beating that I ended up in hospital, and I got taken into care as a place of safety which is like a, something that social services do over here. I believe it's probably the same over there. And whilst I was in the care system, I got introduced to cannabis, glue, gas, all the, the usual. Did you say gas? Gas, yeah. Do you know butane gas for lighters? Oh, like actual gasoline. Yeah, um, well, the sniffing petrol too, yeah. yeah. Okay. But butane gas, do you know refillable lighter gas out of aerosols? Yeah, you change for like blow torches and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And glue sniffing as well. Did that get? Did it give you a good high? Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I never, I never tried that. Yeah, fantastic. Well, actually, I huffed. If I'm not mistaken, I huffed Lysol, which is just an air freshener. Yeah, that's just well. Yeah, that's the same thing. Disgusting. I don't remember doing anything. Yeah, it, yeah. I used to. That's where I first started taking drugs when I was going through the um, care and foster system in England. And what age was this? Twelve. Twelve. Yeah, That's ra- rather young. Yeah. Yeah, twelve or thirteen. Yeah. Do you remember what made you do it? Like, where did the uh, motivation come from? Everybody else was doing it. To be fair. I don't think it was a peer pressure thing, but I think it might have been. I'm not 100% sure. I've always wanted to fit in anywhere. So if you put me in an environment where people are doing that kind of stuff, I will go with it. 
So you're kind of a follower, you go with the crowd. Um, to an extent, yeah, yeah. But no, it's very complicated. I'm not really a follower, to be fair. But once I discovered that I liked getting a high or a buzz off things, there was no stopping me. Do you know why you wanted to get high so bad? Looking back, I do now because I've done major amounts of work around it and a lot of it was rebellion. There's also abandonment issues and attachment issues in there. If the people that are supposed to care about you can't care about you and you seek solace elsewhere. I think it's an actual human thing. Yeah. Yeah. Plus it meant, plus I had fun. You know, let's not, I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't fun because it was, you know. Getting, yeah, this is true. In the beginning, yeah, it was getting, fun. Yeah, getting off your head with a group of like-minded individuals and having a laugh with your mates and that is it's fun, isn't it? And it was, up until it wasn't. Yeah, it always starts off. It's funny that we all have the same story. That's why I consider it to be a disease. I'm pretty leaning yeah. towards that. I'm leaning towards that more than anything because yeah. we all share the same symptoms. It happens like almost exactly for some of us. You know what I mean? A lot of us have yeah. the same exact story where it starts off fun. We're having a good time throughout the years. We slowly need more and more. Then all of a sudden we're not yeah. having a good time. We're just trying to maintain, not feeling sick. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, um, yeah, I understand what you mean. Other people say I don't like to take drugs or drink because I don't like to feel out of control. And that is the only time I feel in control is when I am using substances. Why do you think you feel in control when you're using drugs? Because I have no responsibilities and no choices when I'm using drugs. I don't have to account for my actions to anyone. I don't have to have any responsibility for myself. It's all about me, my next, my next high. Gotcha. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about going to work and paying my bills because I don't pay them. I don't need to. I'm not. The only thing I need to worry about is where I am getting my next fix from. I don't have any of that kind of responsibility that normal people have to put up with car payments, children. I, I don't, and I like that. I saw sort about. Of image in my head of, you know, like living an outlaw lifestyle on the fringes of society, you know, caught up in that sort of image of myself. Like an outlaw? It's very far, it's very <laughs> far from reality, but that's kind of when I'm using me, that's how I see myself, the outlaw. Surviving on the fringes of society, it's very strange. So you said you did incredibly well in school. Did you yeah. um, graduate, I'm assuming? No, I got expelled from school. I've been expelled from every school I've ever been to. For what? I ended up in a... Oh. oh this is a complicated story, Jim. I, um, I stole some 98% ethanol from the chemistry lab. You stole uh, ethanol from the school? Yeah, from the chemistry lab, yeah. Chemistry, okay. Yeah, took it on a school trip, mixed it with orange juice and got everybody quite drunk. Got quite a few people ill with alcohol poisoning. So I got expelled. 
And after that, it was um, in England. They used to be they, they don't do them now, but they used to do borsals, what they they call approved schools, where you'd go to school and you'd be locked in basically. They were child prisons. I ended up going through that system as well. Child prisons. Wow. Yeah, they call borsals. Um, yeah, borsals. They are. They're you know, called approved schools. Borsals where. When it, this was, you know, like 1992, a bit earlier, maybe, 1990, 89, they were still phasing them out of schools, bosses, but there's films on it, things like Scum, I don't know if you've ever seen Scum or... Scum War? There's a film called Scum War about what it was like. That we, it was My life was basically like that film. It was just, yeah, 14-year-old tearaways in jail being... It was all ex-military people that ran them and they would, you know, you'd be doing press-ups and burpees and marching everywhere. Yeah. A bit like what you Americans call boot camp. I was just about to say that. Yeah. 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 Sounds like a boot camp. Yeah, that's what it was like. But I, think the, I think the aim was to install discipline into uh, people that didn't really have any. But all it did was make sitter tougher more rebellious people. So you think going to that type of school and being in that environment with those type of people made you worse? Absolutely. 100%. Like a finishing school of crime, isn't it? Yeah. So you said you were expelled from every school. What were some of the other things you were expelled for? Um, I, I never went to school. They have what they call truancy officers over here. Where we have that also. They set your mum and dad supporting things. But when I went to school, I was such a problem, disruptive and hard work, that they came to an arrangement with my mum and dad where they would just sign me into school without me being there. Do you know? So you were homeschooled? Is that what it was? No, I just didn't go. I just ran the streets. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you never graduated. What did you do? How did how were you living? Did you have a job or no? No, I didn't know. You were just no, young guy living at home still. Um, no, I, I would live on French cities, homeless hostels, homeless shelters, sometimes the streets. What age was this? Oh, 16, 17. Your mom, what, what what happened? Why did you leave home? My mum and dad wouldn't have me in the home. Oh, they threw you out? Yeah, they, they would not. They, they keep trying and I keep stealing off them or burgling the house. Or, I, yeah, I would just, yeah, I was a nightmare. I'm, I'm quite open and honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. Was it hard living on the streets? I mean, I'm assuming it was. Looking back, it was, but at the time, it didn't seem it. At the time, like I said, I built so much of a denial mechanism or an ego sort of thing in my head that my real situation never entered my head. Looking back now, I can see that that's no way to be living. But back then, I thought it was quite cool. Look at me out here surviving on my own, doing what I need to do, making my money. You know, like that, that mindset of I'm an outsider on the fringes of society, doing my own thing. Yeah. Yeah, that kind, that, yeah, that kind of mindset. Look at all you idiots going to work. I've met more than you today and I, I can do what I want when I want.
Yeah. So, how, so you were kicked out at that young age. How yeah. was your How was your drug use or your alcohol use? I'm, 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 there's not many drugs I haven't abused. To be fair, Jim, um, I've been I've, I've had addiction issues all my life. Um, all my life, my alcohol use horrendous. I've done a number of detoxes on alcohol. I try not to drink, or I tried not to drink, but I would always end up in prison through drinking. Always. Um, I was, I've been addicted to heroin. I was addicted to heroin since the age of about 17. Um, who, introdu- who introduced you to these drugs? Um, all the lads that I was knocking about with. So, friends. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I struggle sometimes because I'm always trying to put things into an, an American context. But when you live where I was living or where I live, it's kind of rough. It's like the sums. I think you call them the projects, you know? Yes. And when you're in that kind of environment, there's older people about that are using harder drugs than you. And you slowly get introduced, don't you? And you kind of pick it up and you learn off them, you know? And that's what happened. And if you're if you're an eighteen year old young man on the streets, young, angry, and full of rage, and older people can see that sort of thing, and they can they take you into the circle, and you end up doing all the things that they don't want to do. You know, all the, the the dumb things that needs an eighteen year old angry man. Do you know? And, and that's what it was for me. And that would periodically, I'd go to jail, I would come out clean. I'd fully intend to stay clean. And before I knew it, I'd be back in the same circle because I didn't have the living skills to to do anything else about it. How many times have you been in jail? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. I know that uh, I work now and I know that my DBS, which is what the British use for um, lack of criminal background check. I know that I have about 140 convictions. 140, wow. Yeah, I think it's 15 pages long. And I, I don't set it out of pride or anything like that. That's just reality. That is the reality of my situation. Do you know what it is? There's nothing smart about having an extensive criminal record. There isn't. There's nothing smart about that at all, but that is the, my reality, you know. I've done a number of sentences, short ones, Three months, six months. I've done quite some quite long ones as well. Two years, three years. I spent quite a lot of time in in jail and institutions. I have. What was it like in jail? I love it. I'm not going to pretend that I don't. I absolutely love being in jail. I did. I don't now because I'm quite far removed from that situation. But back then, I loved being in jail. It's just like. It's like a home from home. I've no responsibilities. I'm getting three meals a day. All my mates are there. Do you know when you know everybody on a wing? It's it's, it's no real... I don't find jail a hardship. I don't. I don't find lack of freedom a hardship. I don't have to worry about anything. That's scary. When you feel that you don't mind going to jail, because in my mind, there's nothing to stop you from doing something to break the law because you don't care. You, like most people get deterred where they say, like me personally, I don't think I'd survive in jail. I would go nuts. I'm bipolar. I got a, a host of mental health issues. 
Because yeah. they did. But I, I've been I've been off drugs a number of years. I mean, looking back, this is my old thought process. Do you understand? What I mean, jail was just a, an occupational hazard. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. For me, jail's a home from home. If I go to jail, I can go on any wing in in the north of England, um, and I'll know people on that wing that will look after me because of what I'm like outside, and I'll get there'll be drugs in there. There's always drugs in jail. I don't have to worry about that. You know, and I'll be looked after because I know everyone, and it, it it just I don't have to worry about I don't have to worry about paying this month's rent. That's sorted, isn't it? I don't have to worry about a job. The jail will give me one. I don't have to worry about education. They'll put me in a classroom. I don't have to worry about food because they're going to feed me, and I can go to the gym at least an hour a day. I I grew, I grew up that way, Jim. I grew up through a Borstal system that um. The kind of institutionalizes you, I suppose. That I, I don't, I wouldn't like to go to jail now being um, clean. But back then, I did. I didn't care. Me, I just, to be fair, jail, jail, and prison. I'm forever grateful to jail and the British justice system because it's one of the only things that kept me alive. If, if that makes sense. Oh, I've heard that before. Where because it helped get you sober. It, it, I'd, and... I'd do a year. I'd do a year run on the streets. I'd go into jail at eight storm, nine storm maybe, with bloodborne viruses and what have you. Jail would fix me up and I'd get back out and do the same thing again. So jail sort of kept me alive throughout the years and give me... Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, but I wouldn't want to go back to jail now. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Now that you're sober, it's a different story. Well, I'm an old man now as well. I'm, I'm 47. It's very different. The last the last sentence I was in was for two years, and that would have been when I was 41. Four, so I, 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 yeah, I've been out of jail now about six years. I was four. I think I did my 40th birthday when I was in jail. That was on a two-year sentence. Um, and I got out and I sort of sorted myself out a little bit. When you got out, did you have a place to live? Um, yeah. Um, I, I don't know how things work in America, Jim, so I'm really sorry about this. I was what they call a prolific offender. Um, and prolific offenders in England are monitored quite tightly. They have um, special projects that try and get you out of crime because I am a drain, me on society, when I'm using. Yeah. So I had a, I had a PPO officer, a prolific, a prolific offender officer, and they helped me find housing and they helped me get somewhere to live and try and stabilise me. So it sounds like you guys have a lot of social services that really help. Um, the police over here, they have all, all sorts of um, schemes. Revolution, one of was, Tower Project was another. Um, the criminal justice system and the um, drug services over here are quite closely intertwined as well. So I'd end up with things called DTTOs, which are drug training and treatment orders, or ASROs, addressing substance offending orders, where I would be forced to go to the local drug services and engage and do groups about all sorts of different things, foundations of change, foundations of growth. You know, and that's where I found my that's where I found my sobriety through those kinds of systems. Gotcha. Yeah. So, 
at what point in your life did you say that you needed to get sober? Well, I'd have been forty, uh, forty-one, maybe. I've been, I've been clean and sober now for about six years, um, and I've built myself quite a reasonable life up compared to what it was, you know. Uh, and going on these courses, I had to go to like alcohol treatment courses, all that sort of stuff. That integrated services, really. And I just woke up one day and I had a small voice in my head. And I've heard Auntie Hopkins say it, but it, it rings very true. That just said, listen, you're going to die. You you are going to die. And it wasn't even that I was going to die of drugs. Somebody would have killed me. I'd have ended up being murdered or I'd have ended up murdering someone. There is no, there's no, that was the only three options I had. Or I would have ended up doing a long sentence for some ridiculous crime. Maybe a life one, I don't know. But yeah, that, that's where I was at. And I went to my local drug service and I said, I want to go to rehab. And at first they laughed at me. They said, no. And so I had to jump through a few hoops. Why did they say no? Because I wasn't... I'd... Sitting here talking to you about it, me. I'm not the person I was. Drug services wouldn't treat me at some points. So I'd get banned from drug services for threatening workers or, do you know, all that kind of stuff. If they wouldn't give me my methadone prescription, I'd be kicking off and threatening to put windows through and smashing cars up and telling them I'd meet them out. Do you know all that kind of ridiculousness? Yeah. So very often drug services didn't really want to treat me. And then when I said I want to, pardon? I was going to say, so what did you do? I said I want to go to rehab, I want to get clean. And I had, I had a really good drugs worker at the time. I was I absolutely dying, on my, I was dying by this point, I really was. I, I, I was very close. I just got out of hospital with sepsis, I had MRSA, I had hepatitis, B and C. I, I was quite a mess at this point. And she sort of listened and said, if you do these things, I will do my best to get you in. They wouldn't give me a detox because they didn't think that I'd live. The waiting list to go to the detox unit was six months, and they didn't think I'd live that long. So they got me somewhere pretty quick. So you were in bad shape? I was in very bad shape, yeah. I was down to about 60 kilo. I'd, I'd just got out of hospital. I'd got sepsis. I'd also had MRSA. Um, I'd I'd got uh, I'd got rid of the hepatitis in jail. They'd given me a treatment in jail, which I objected to because I said I will catch it again when I get out. Because I'm under no illusions about what I'm like. Me, I'm, I'm absolutely not. I knew that when I got out, I was going to go back to intravenous drug use, and lo and behold, I caught it again. Oh shit! Yeah. So my liver, by this point, was getting quite bad off. Do you know? So how did you get better? I went to a rehabilitation centre. I went to how, a drugs How rehab. was that? Um, I found it incredibly hard work, me. I did. I'm not going to pretend I didn't. And I'm sure they found me incredibly hard work because you've got a, a 40-year-old who's still 18 in his head who is angry at the world and angry at himself and I didn't trust authority. All my life, authority has been an issue for me. I don't trust authority figures, if you understand what I mean. I see authority as a bad thing. And now I've got these 
who are classed as idiots telling me you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And my natural response is to say, am I allowed to swear? I probably have. I mean, my natural response is to say, listen, fuck you. Do you know who I am? Do you know that kind of thinking, that kind of my ego to protect myself? But I didn't. I discovered that once I got clean, I liked being clean, sort of. That's also kind of a hard truth. Because when you take the drugs out of me, my life doesn't get better. Physically, I get better immediately. Do you know? Throw me through a shower and give me some clean clothes. I'm good to go, but mentally, I get a lot worse. Yeah, no, I hear you. So how, um, once you left rehab, how do you continue to continue to stay sober? I tend um, I, I, to, I practice the 12 steps. I'm in a 12-step recovery program. Okay. I, I am. But I also don't believe that that's for everyone. I don't believe, I'm not one of those that 12 steps is the only way to get clean. I don't believe that for one minute. I believe everybody's got their own path. That's no, just how I choose that's just how I choose to maintain my sobriety and my clean time, but it's, it's not for everybody, is it, you know? No, it's not. You know, some people can do smart recovery, some people become Christians. However, whatever works for you in my motto, you know, whatever works for you. So how do you feel about the 12-step program? I, I don't really have any scenes about the 12-step programme. I know that a lot of people have feelings for it one way or another. I really don't. I don't get involved in all that kind of stuff. I just know it works for me, and that's kind of all I need to know. Yeah. Yeah, do you know? I, I'm not... I'm not one of them that believes that 12 steps is the only way to recover. I'm absolutely not. I don't believe that's true. Some people still ask to move a bit. I struggled with the God word quite a lot at first because God to me was always a mean, a mean guy. Do you know? Yeah. I couldn't get my head around it. All right, so we're getting towards the end here. Do you, um, let me ask you one last question. Do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Yeah, I do. Stick with it, it gets better. Stick with it. You don't have to live like that. It's hard, but it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. Since I got clean, me, I've gone from begging on the streets, and I have a degree to my name. I work in a mental health unit. I'm employed. I'm at college doing a second degree. I'm going to go for a master's degree. All that can come from sobriety alone. Wow, it sounds like you're doing amazing. I'm, I'm just doing all right. I'm, I'm just doing all right, man. I'm being what I should always have been. Do you know? This should always have been me. But unfortunately, substance has got in the way. And the way I use substance. Do you know? Because I use any drug. I use drugs. I, I use even soft drugs hard. Do you know? Yeah. This kind of what I do, and my advice to anybody out there is stick with it. It's going to be hard, but it is incredibly rewarding. And nothing grows in a comfort zone. Fear kept me locked in addiction for a long time. What will I become? What will I do? Will I be boring? Do you know? Another thing is, I miss the chaos. I miss 
when I was using drugs, me and I was living that lifestyle, I was a lot of things where I promise you I was never bored. Ever. Boredom was a luxury I didn't have. Now I do, and I'm all right with it. So that's my advice, stick with it. Stick with it. That's good. That's really good advice. I mean, it's simple, but yet profound. Yeah. Because it is true. Yeah, man. Because some people expect to get sober and consider themselves sober within like a week. And it's not that, you know, it's a lifelong journey. Well, over here, we call that microwave recovery. They want 10 years recovery in 30 seconds. Ping, and that's how it works, is it? If you want 10 years recovery, you've got to do 10 years worth of recovery. You can't get it in a month, unfortunately. Exactly. But it gets so much better, you know. My life's pretty good today. And that's Sounds all like thanks to getting clean. Yeah, it is. I'm at work right now. I'm at work now. So it's all good. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. No problem. Been a pleasure. All right. Awesome. So sit tight for me. Don't go anywhere. And for everybody yeah. watching and listening, I hope you liked and saw what you heard. If you did, give us a like and subscribe below. You can also give us a look on Facebook, TikTok, Tumblr, Instagram. So we're on all social media platforms. And I also suggest check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources and free literature. So once again, I hope you enjoyed today. And until next time.